And uh, I think people's conflict is the, the difference between releasing and forgetting. You don't have to forget what you came from. You don't have to forget the, the, the toil and the trauma. But releasing it to the Lord, saying, God, all of this, because y'all, it ain't good to be stored in this body. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Create with Kendra, a place where you can be inspired, challenged, and changed. Every single week, we acknowledge a Black creative, entrepreneur, businessman, or woman for doing what they do absolutely best. Y'all, today, let me tell you, not only am I going to tell you who is our businesswoman of the week, but our special guest, she is dynamite, and y'all, we are in for a treat today. Y'all, I want you to put your hands together, put your snaps in the air for Miss Alicia Fryson. Woo! Welcome to the show, Alicia. Thank you, Kendra. I'm so excited to be here. We are so excited to have y'all. And if you do not know who Alicia is, I want to tell you that Alicia is an attorney, entrepreneur, and influencer who advocates for young black girls to take up their space in the courtroom and professional market space, okay? She specializes in trial advocacy, criminal defense, and youth empowerment. She also advocates for the development of our generation when it comes to ministry. She is a phenomenal woman, and y'all are going to get to know that quite soon in this episode. Alicia, we are so excited to have you. Um, This here, I tell you, is going to be such a pivotal episode for many people. And before we get into it, I want to play a little game that we normally do with our special guests. It's called Off the Dome. We're going to ask a couple of questions to you, Alicia, that you're going to answer for us so our listeners can get to know who you are just a little bit better, okay? All right. All right, Alicia, what is your favorite snack to indulge in? Goldfish. Goldfish? I love me some goldfish. What? Oh, my gosh. I love goldfish. Parmesan flavor is my favorite. Oh they my. got me through the bar exam. Oh, my. Okay, look. Look, whatever gets you through the bar, <laughs> snack on that. Okay? Alicia, what is your to-go, or your go-to song to get you hyped? To get me hyped? It depends. Before trial, for Alicia Keys, this girl is on fire. That was my go-to when I had to go to a mock trial competition and go in the courtroom and battle up against other people who are not used to seeing black women in the courtroom. That was it for me. Wow. This girl is on fire. Love it. Love it. Love it. And let's see. Our last question for you is what is something that you are extremely proud of? What I'm very proud of is my relationship with God. Um, The Lord has taken me through different depths and challenged me as far as my faith and how much I would trust him. And I'm really, I'm just so happy that I feel closer to him than ever. Um, But I'm also in this place of 
just crazy faith and crazy trust in God, where if I hear something from the Lord, I'm like, okay, <laughs> which is a little wild. I never thought I would leave in this place, but I'm very proud to be in that place. Man, that's a blessing. That's a blessing that you're able to grow in your faith, that you're able, able to hear from God deeper than you have before. <clears throat> Glory to him. Glory to him. All right, Alicia. Um, <clears throat> and all the listeners, this is going to be, like I said just a moment ago, a very pivotal episode for many people that are listening. Um, the conversation revolves around the question that was asked. A young lady wrote into Ask Kendra, and I want to read this question um, because a lot of people battle with this or even see it and, and are afraid to confront it or don't know how to confront it. And so today, um, Alicia and I are going to have this real conversation about um, these two identities, okay? So this young, young lady wrote in to the show and asking, how can she manage being a black studies major and a Christian, given our history as relates to slavery? So how can she be a black studies major and a Christian given our history as it relates to slavery? Okay, so I am super excited to have Alicia. You are the perfect person to have on this episode because for those that don't know, Alicia and I both are black Bruins. So we were both in an African-American studies department at UCLA and UCLA being a predominantly white institution. So I honestly, Alicia would say that I got through and I enjoyed my UCLA experience because of black UCLA. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The population of us on campus was less than 3%. So imagine living in the dorm room and you are one of three of 90 students on the floor. Mm-hmm. Hostility when you come into a classroom, when you come into a common space. And so I, I want to to get your take, and I want you to share with the folks, what was your experience um, at UCLA as a black Christian young woman? Yeah, so I went to UCLA with my twin sister. We are both so bright-eyed and bushy-tailed running down there to Los Angeles. And we get there and the campus has at least 20,000 students who are in undergrad alone. Uh, so it's overwhelming. We got there in the summer. We did a summer program with other, other students of color. So it wasn't as much of a culture shock. But day one in the fall, it was like, uh, where did all the black, it was like a, a record scratch. Like, uh, where do black <laughs> people go? Where do Latino people go? Where all the people Okay, go? reality you know, sit in. It, it hits you. Um, but then the other experiences start hitting even harder. Just, I, I was a philosophy major when I started at UCLA. Uh, and black people don't take philosophy. Okay, period. They're not walking into a philosophy class. But also just in the department, it was almost as if the professors had never experienced a black person. I say that because I would write papers about black women experiences or, or I would talk about things in class and they were like, that doesn't sound true, literally. Right. And I took my first 
African, right. That doesn't sound true. Even though I just gave you some receipts. Right. It was like as if it was Go ahead. mythical. Mythical for them to hear about a black person's experience, let alone a, a black woman. Oh, and um, I think that was my first dose of like, maybe I shouldn't stay in this department. And uh, I took an African-American studies class first. And I think it was during my first semester, loved it, loved the experience of it. And um, I started contemplating making the change. Um, now, the hard part about that change and the reason why I was I was literally sitting in, I think, a juxtaposition between a juxtaposition of like two competing worlds is UCLA looks like Los Angeles in that Los Angeles is actually a very segregated environment and UCLA is segregated as far as political ideology. And it's like a compete, a competition throughout of what corner are you going to stake as your home? Where are you gonna, what sort of bubble of ideas are you gonna subscribe to and believe in? And it's pretty hard as a black Christian because that transgresses so many bubbles, but with the world of um, the political nature of campus, uh, we're a highly active campus. We had I was involved in activism culture uh, and Christianity. There's not much room for Christianity in that culture as well. So it was constantly a battle, the, the battle on campus of what we, you fit into, but also it was an internal battle because it's like I'm noticing this. I'm noticing how other people are treated when they represent or display differences in opinion, the smallest thing. You know, so my experience was it was it. I had an arc over time going from just a little student to a campus leader, um, which put put me in another position in terms of what am I going to subscribe to? It's like the smallest decisions I made were so big because I had so many so much attention on every decision I made. Uh, so I didn't have. I didn't have as much freedom on that campus. I can say that. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Um, and when y'all, when we finish this episode, y'all, uh, y'all Google her. Cause <laughs> Miss Thang. <laughs> Look, <laughs> you was moving and shaking on that campus, <clears throat> but I definitely agree with what you say about not having the freedom. Um, just being black alone is a is a threat to many just your presence on campus i remember like i stayed in holly Mm. um i stayed in holly and it was a more more so like a communal floor so you had like communal bathrooms and stuff like that and i can remember coming just coming out of my door and I was one of three black girls on a floor of 90 people. 90 people. And when I would come out of my room and I would see people laughing and having a good time. And when I, when I approached them close enough, they'd stop. From walking in the halls, you know, they're, they're all, you know, fine. <laughs> Until they see me, heads down, move over. It's, it, it was... Living yeah. in that tension, yeah, it's not okay for nobody. Yeah, so that's just being that's just one. 
Secondly, being a black Christian, it was important for me to find a black Christian community because what does it look like to go? Like I said earlier, we were less than 3% on campus. So what does it look like for me to find a, a church community on campus that worships differently? Not to say that <clears throat> when people worship differently, that's a bad thing. But us as black folks, we have a certain culture when it comes to church. Yeah, right. I remember one time um, I went to a to a Christian camp. This was with UCLA. And the Lord was dealing with me, and I was just crying out to the Lord. And, like, literally, like, travail. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Y'all know what I'm talking about. And this this... This little white boy came up to me and was like, what was that? Like, I've never seen nothing like that before. So having to explain your blackness, having, hey. having to explain um, what travail is and, 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 and not being culturally competent when it comes to faith, it is a struggle. Yeah. So I understand this question of what it means to, to battle blackness and battle Christianity. I, I, like I told you, Alicia earlier, um, I had a professor that was by any means, if he was going to say something, he was going to dog out Christianity. Mm. He was going to dog out Christianity. He even said, Hey, I, I used to be a minister. I used to be in training to go into ministry, but then I found out that so-and-so and this and that, and you shouldn't follow it until I challenged him that you're looking at the poor manipulative behavior of man versus not even looking at Christ Yeah, that had him on mute. Okay. He was like, we're not going any further in this conversation. Cause before he was going back and forth with me, but we have to understand that Christ and people's behavior is completely different. And Alicia, there was a quote that you shared with me and I want you to share that. There was a professor that you had that um, is an atheist, but what did he say? Right. Yeah. The class is my favorite to this day. He's still my favorite professor um, really because of this moment of responsibility. Yeah. He's an atheist, uh, professor Robin DG Kelly because uh, I, I guess he's worth that credit. And uh, he stated that I think somebody was battling with him about how can, I think someone actually did pose that exact question. Yeah. How can I be a Christian knowing that Christianity catch, kept my ancestors enslaved? Yeah. And he said, that's not true. He said that I, as an atheist, cannot deny the power of Christianity and getting Black people off of the slavery, off of the plantation, because it was black pastors who were reading the word to find freedom in the word and to find themselves in the lives of the the Israelites who were enslaved by the Egyptians. It was the black pastors who were motivating them to start picking up themselves out of slavery. And literally the black pastors who were leading the slave revolts, getting literally out here, killing folks for their freedom you you just can't deny that you can't deny that hello and that is so powerful in that moment alicia <clears throat> god showed himself 
God will use anybody. He'll even use the non-believer to get glory. Oh, come on. He will even use the non-believer to get his glory. Look, y'all didn't miss y'all opportunity to dance. Right, come on. That was the part to dance. (laughs) Like. Oh, that's too good. So good. So good. Okay, Alicia, I want us to 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 give the people just like a little, if you, if you don't mind, just a little synopsis. And I know that um, you can't really do it justice within a few seconds, but can you walk people through the transatlantic slave trade and how this whole thing came about? Yes. So it started out... Um, the slave trade actually stayed, started in the Slavic region, which was modern day or you know around that time, Ottoman Empire. Uh, it, the word slave comes from the Slavic people, but there was a war going on. And so they just could not access the region to get what they needed. And that's when they said, oh, wait, there's this other continent where we, we trade with them for, for goods and materials. Maybe we can get them from there. And they went to Africa mm-hmm. and it started with the Portuguese. Uh, the thing is, though, that people missed, it was it was an agreement at first. Yes, there was an agreement between one government, between another government, European government with an African government. But then it transitioned. It transitioned where they became uh, quite aggressive and it removed itself from being a mutual agreement and turned into a level of just trying to keep the Europeans from taking us over. Um, and that's when they turned around and they ha- were deprived of all of the strong, the mm-hmm. young, the fit, the, the ones who were able to bear children. They're deprived of all of that. Um, and the slave trade really took a bulk of African people to South America. Two thirds went to South America. And then there was most of us who ended up over here in North America. That's yeah. where I came from. Uh, And with that, there was a new system that emerged as well. So this was the first time that we see a type of slavery known as chattel slavery. And chattel slavery is where the individual now takes an identity of property. You're no longer in a agreement to work for someone. You're now their property. And the American slave system, because it was rooted in in that identity, it took a different form. It was much more brutal. The American some. South America, Caribbean, and North America, much more brutal. And there is no means of gaining your freedom. Yeah. That, that is, and I want to pause there because this is where the conversation, or I would say the question can really take off. And so I want to talk about what it means to be both black and to be Christian because we are now faced with this tumultuous history of being enslaved. And a lot of people hold on to the fact that a a part of the enslavement strategy was Christianity. But let us be clear that this version of Christianity had not an ounce of Christ in it. Right. We have to remember that you 
you can and I want and I want to remind folks that you can be both black and be both Christian. Um and we can walk into the, walk in authority of that because we have to be able to understand that we need to see ourselves in the scripture. Yeah. That's what we need to see. Um when it comes to African Americans, we're going to keep it in, you know, as far as like in this country, we're going to keep it in this country. African Americans, we need to see ourselves in the scripture and how our lives and our enslavement was parallel to the Israelites. Yeah, it really was. When when you think about it, when you read it, it shows like the historical uh, perspective of we're both marginalized people, endured chattel enslavement, were oppressed systematically, and lived in casual disdain, even till today. We can't get away from the disdain. But we have to see ourselves in the scripture. And there's something that I want to read. Um, Exodus chapter one. Y'all know we a Bible reading podcast. Um, Exodus chapter one, um, verses seven through 14. And I'm reading from the NIV version. And I really want y'all to look and listen and study this scripture. And it reads starting at verse seven. But the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly multiplied and grew exceedingly mighty in the land and was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph and said to his people, look at the people, the children of Israel are more and mightier than we come. Let us deal shrewdly with them. Least they multiply had it happened in the event of war, They'll also join our enemies and fight against us. So this new king is coming in like, look, there's a whole bunch of them and I don't like it. So let us enslave them because if they don't have, if they're not controlled by me, the king, they may turn against us in the event of war. Watch this closely, people. Verse 11 says, therefore, they set over them to afflict them. With burdens, they built for Pharaoh supplies and cities, phantoms and ransoms. And verse 12, but the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. They were in dread of their children, of the children of Israel. How real, how true is it, Alicia, that our government, that the people in this country are threatened by blackness just for being right. This is why we are killed in our homes. This is why we are killed. I mean, going to the grocery store, running, doing what, whatever it is, because there is a, there is a threat that the enemy has used in this country and around the world to deceive people. Watch this closely, folks. Verse 13 says, so the Egyptians made the children of Israel um, serve with rigor. They made their lives bitter and hard and bondage in mortar and brick and all the matters of the service in the fields and all their services in which they made them serve with rigor. Now, what that sound like? Services in the field. 
What that sound like? We need to be able to see ourselves in the scripture. Yes. Us black folks, marginalized, oppressed. This, this, it happened again. Yeah. We weren't the first group. Right. And the beauty about it is that we're able, if we read the word of God, it'll show us how he can and will deliver. Alicia, how can we be both black and Christian? (laughs) Just like you said, we need to start by recognizing our identity. Christ wants us to, he came that we can see ourselves and see our identity. Yes. Not based off of what people are telling us and telling us who we are. Because Christ understood that Israel were the chosen people of God, but for so long they were in a situation that did not reflect their their true identity. Mm-hmm. And just like you, you connected all the way back to now when we're in this form of slavery, we're coming off this form of slavery that completely resurfaces your identity. Yeah. It strips away your identity. The form of slavery was totally different in America that you couldn't take along all those aspects of your culture. Yeah. They ripped away from us our language. They ripped away from us our song, our dance, our clothing. We couldn't even have our hair out. And now we're being told to take on this new identity, take on something else, take on the identity of being property, of not even being a human, not even being an individual. Mm-hmm. And the only way that we can get back to what the Lord, I, the, the Lord ordained for us, get yeah. back to our seat, get back to the authority that he actually gave us Mm. is that we go to the scripture and we see ourselves in the word of God. And we see ourselves through the message that Christ delivered to us. We have to be transformed. We have to be renewed. We have to be renewed. And it's powerful. I think it's powerful that us as black people are looking at it that way because it's, it's funny because it's not different than any other walk of a Christian. We're born in this world that is of sin and we all have to be born again. But for black people, we have, we have a different look at it and we, we have more emphasis on it, but it's, it's Christ's goal for all of us. It's the Lord's goal for all of us that we're born again, but we just have a stronger, a stronger hold on why we need Yeah, because we really need to be cleansed and rid of all the, the wounds and the pain and the scars of our ancestors amen we're going to talk about those wounds in a little bit we're going to talk about them in a little bit ah this is good to me y'all i don't know about you but i'm getting my whole life over again okay um alicia i want to talk about is christianity christianity radical People out here in these streets think we weak, girl. (laughs) They think we going to fold on any and everything. They think we weak. They think we weak. And I was reading this book. It's called, um, hold on. It's called Reading While Black. This is not a promo, but I love this book. It's called Reading While Black by Esau McCullough and McCulley and he speaks about how a lot of people that grew up in church grew up with the Christian faith 
um, then leave Christianity for other religions and more specifically Islam. And he asked a lot of people like, why, you know, why? Um, and their reasoning was that Christianity is docile, that Christianity, you know, Agen book, <laughs> um, and in another sense, and that Islam is more interested in advocating for the black man. So, Alicia, I think it's about time to put these people on notice that um, we ain't weak. It's about time. It's about time. So, so let, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny that you said, immediately when you said that Black people transition because they feel that it, it's um, better, I guess, invigorates the Black man more, defends the Black man more. It's funny because I thought of like, they never heard of Peter. <laughs> like, Peter was Christ's number one gangster. Like, what? What you talking he about? He was, look. <laughs> he didn't just carry them hands. He wasn't just praying for people. He was <laughs> pulling out everything. <laughs> he had switchblades. He had machetes. He was cutting people's ears off. Oh. It was it was all of that. Peter was ready. Peter was ready. It was all of that. And um, the funny part about this, where I had a transformational part of my life to see the power and the radicalness of Christianity was in Catholic high school, which Wait, what? <laughs> right, just oh, okay. Like, and part of your Catholic education, you have to take Bible classes or Christian classes, things like that. And it's funny because they're always so standard. Like, okay, the books of the Bible, the things you I've already known. I grew up in church, but we had one course. Um, it was literally just one day that kind of enlightened me. Literally, just one day. Okay, that's all. You, that's all you need. <laughs> That's all, I need. That's all you need. And um, they were going through Jesus's instructions, um, and the power of it. They were they're trying to basically dissect it and put it in context. Okay. So the one of the instructions that we we get is uh, when when your brother hits you, turn the other cheek. And that's used a lot to be a docile, to preach the docile aspect of Christianity. Mm -hmm. But back then, if somebody slapped you, typically they're slapping you with their backhand, which is really disrespectful. And so when you're turning your other cheek, you're forcing their hand to give you a full frontal, which makes me eye to eye level with you. It like, it forces us to be on the same page. Huh. Right. I was like, hmm. And then the other one is if someone asks you to go and the one that we it's transitioning to to go an inch, go a mile instead. Um, and really what Christ is talking about is that they treated uh, Jewish people very low in that area. And mm -hmm. so the Roman soldiers would probably ask them to do something for them. And the problem is for free and you're supposed to do it for free. Mm -hmm. But Jesus said, if he asked you to do something instead, run an extra mile and the reason why you run an extra mile is because once you run an extra mile they gotta actually catch up with you to go do a little bit more work to to make up for that and at some point i think they have to compensate it is now it's not just i can't just treat you like my slave and the point of that entire 
undoing they did on our understanding and putting things in context was to show that Jesus was the first activist, basically, the first radical activist Mm -hmm. um, to challenge things from a different perspective. And they use the image of civil disobedience, like a lot of what we may see of Martin Luther King, of how he wasn't, he, he wasn't the type two, he wasn't a Peter, okay? He wasn't going to pull out a sword, he wasn't Malcolm X, but he was subtle enough to move, to move our entire nation, to move mm-hmm. a people, to move a generation, yeah. and to actually implement real change. And that's the radical aspect that we were uncovering when it came to the life of Christ. And so sometimes the radical is not going to look like a violent or physical, or even like the entire representation of radicalism that we're used to. But sometimes that radical is for a lasting transformation. Sometimes the radical is a disruption. Mm. I heard the Holy Spirit say that just now. Sometimes the radical is a disruption. One of the most famous instances of radical behavior that people associate with Christ is when there were, um, when there were like people in the marketplace and different businesses set up their, their, you know, table, you know, basically tabling in the courts of the tabernacle, right? And what did Jesus go up in there and do? He flipped the tables. Imagine going, and and this is how I use, you know how we grew up in church, like he had like the holy convocation, right? Mm-hmm. Right, in Oakland. Right. And in the hallway, you have all these vendors. Mm-hmm. Imagine Jesus rolling up in there and taking the hat lady's table and just flipping it. <laughs> flipping everything. I mean, just throwing and just, because his point was you need to respect and reverence my father's house. Yes. It was a disruption. Another thing about, honestly, Jesus's entire life was a disruption. Come on. When they, when he first came, people thought he was going to come, you know, all decked out in gold and everything, but he came in a major, a manger lowly how you born in a barn and you a king Mm. it disrupted the ideology of what people thought the messiah was gonna come right when it came to those religious officials the reason why they sent him to the cross is because he was calling them out and disrupting the narrative all that dirt they was doing and trying to cover up Mm -hmm. he exposed them with the truth disruption and that is what we are called to do so alicia i want to talk about blackness and how black christians can get involved or how can what what is our place in social justice efforts Mm -hmm. that's a good one i think our place in social justice it's inherent to our being it's inherent to our being. Yes. So we're black already. We came in here having to disrupt the entire social order for the sake of justice. And we bear the name and we call ourselves, you know, we bear the name of a man who came 
in a radical form, yes. preaching a radical message. Mm -hmm. His message flipped the head on what they had from the Old Testament. It flipped the head off of every rule that we we're supposed to walk in and, and follow. And so with that, the Lord came in a radical form with a radical message to restore balance. Hallelujah. And with that, we, that's always has to be our goal. Our goal, of course, is that the kingdom comes in. But Holy Spirit can't come where things are out of order. And Amen. so as his ambassadors in the earth, everything that needs to be done has to be done through a vessel. But so as his ambassadors in the earth, it's our job to deal with those things, to deal with those things that are causing us to be off balance. Yeah. And even when it comes to our society, <clears throat> because we talked about this too, Kendra, that social justice yep. should be an inherent in our being because there are forces that are actively working against the Lord to maintain a separation. Jesus. To maintain us being polarized, to keep us on opposite ends, black mm -hmm. and white, Christian Islam. But we know that kingdom is supposed to look like all of us. Yeah. Come on. So that means that that's our assignment as well. Come it's on. My assignment to preach the truth and get us to a place <clears throat> to restore us back to the place of what Christ's world looked like, what all of Christ's disciples look like, what all his friends look like, you know, the sick, the the one who was the tax collector, the, the people who were shunned in society who he wasn't supposed to be around. Yeah. It's on us to do that work to do the work to represent Christ in his truest form. And a lot of times we sit as Christians, we sit back and we maintain Christ and feeling good with all of what we got of Holy Spirit. We got a Holy Ghost. Oh, I feel so good. God is so good to me. And we don't do the work of now it's time for me to go out into the earth. Mm -hmm. Now it's time for me to actually transform other people's mm -hmm. lives and give and preach to them the same truth. Mm -hmm. So I know we can look at other people and say, mm, shame that you you got that on you or you act that way towards God's people. But then I realize it's my time to turn around and say, mm, maybe I can share the light of Christ with you so that we're not on opposite sides anymore, so that we're not in a place of, of, com of combativeness, so that we're not in a place of just picking our territory and staying where we're at. Because it's my job at the end of the day that his kingdom be poured out into this earth. Amen. And amen. Another thing I want to add to that, because that was so good. In order for us to be able to operate in kingdom, we need to know who God is. Yes. We can't fight the enemy if we don't know who the enemy is. And a lot of people have made God the enemy because of what they heard other people do. We got to get us right first, y'all. A lot of people have made God the enemy, Alicia. Yeah. Because of the manipulated version of Christianity. And in that, I want to remind us like, like, again, we, we mentioned earlier, going back to scripture, it's so interesting that when you think about it, Alicia, it was illegal for enslaved people to learn how to what? Read, read. and and write. Mm -hmm. 
Right. It was illegal because in reading and in writing, you have access to knowledge. Yeah. You have access to information. You have access to power. You also have access to the word of God. So it being illegal for enslaved people to know how to read and write was also a, a tactic that they used to keep them from knowing the Bible. Yeah. There was no slave master. There was no slave driver that was going to read Exodus to them. Mm-hmm. Right. And even when they had the Bible, they actually ripped out right. books of liberation. Right. And gave it to the preacher so the preacher can use it as a prop. Right. Okay. And right. so, but when we learned how to read and write, when we learned how to exegete the text, Black folks was like, oh, shoot, wait, hold up, hold, hold up. <laughs> they were enslaved too? Oh, okay. God delivered them too? And because of their strong faith, strong. what he did before, he would do again. Yes. What he did before, he would do again. And so when we think of, and that even ties into not just social justice, but how we worship. When people go to a black church and be like, it don't take all that. Yeah, do. You don't know the generational curses. You don't know the generational poverty. You don't know the generational trauma that is in my lineage. So the way that I praise God, the way that I worship him, the way that I shout, dance, move is a reflection. Hallelujah. Of the praise that God deserves for delivering me and my people. Yes. Thank you, Father. It is a reflection and you and I are here today from the prayers of our ancestors, even though they weren't able to see what we see. We're here because of their intercession. Mm. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you. We are here for their intercession. We must know who God is y'all. And another thing is, and I'm gonna go here, Alicia. Because we got some Christians that don't like white folks. I'm going to say it. Just did. Boom. Mm. We have to learn how to separate white ideology and white supremacists as a as a institution yeah. versus the individual white people. Yes. We have to separate it. We can't be over here saying I love God and I'm a Christian and hating white people. Then no, there, there are things that white people didn't didn't done. Mm-hmm. I'm not denying that. We also had, you know, white folks advocating, standing with us. These are individuals, and we also have to understand the spiritual warfare. Yes, it's systemic and it's also spiritual. Yeah. When it comes to these efforts. Yeah. Woo. My God. I love that. I love that you went there. Because we need to go there. (laughs) The Lord is showing me though, as you were saying that, that there is, there is a real, there was a real mission the enemy had in keeping black people enslaved. Mm -hmm. Just like you said that, 
you know, we, we they come to black church and say, you don't have to do all that. Oh, but I'm praising God for all the things that he's delivered me from. What people don't see is that all of this that you're seeing is me in the process of doing the work of what the Lord told me I need to be doing and maintaining and receiving that deliverance. Yeah. So my ancestors are back on the plantation doing the same thing when they barely could, you know, because we weren't allowed to shout and dance and stuff. So yeah. where we could, we were going crazy. And the power of it is that there was something that happened that has designed a system that was set in place to keep us on opposite ends, black and white. But the truth is that the deliverance that the Lord has handed to us, just how we said it's our social duty, our the social justice to bring and release what God gives us out into the earth. Yeah, There's some things we got to release to our white folks, our white counterparts, our white brothers and sisters. There's some deliverance. There's some healing that has to happen that flowed through us. Hallelujah. Because he was able to do it in us because we're able to grab hold of our own. Because we were able to break out and know true freedom. There's some things that we have to release. And so long as we're separated and divided, we're both dying. Yeah. And I think people's conflict is the, the difference between releasing and forgetting. You don't have to forget what you came from. You don't have to forget the, the, the toil and the trauma. Yeah. But releasing it to the Lord, saying, God, all of this, because y'all, it ain't good to be stored in this body. Yeah. Hypertension, high blood pressure, yeah. unforgiveness, release yeah. it to the Lord. That's real. I didn't say forget about it. Because yes. there are some people who are like, we should just forget about it like it didn't happen. Oh, it happened. Yeah. Yeah. And we are still reaping the consequences of it. But releasing it to the Lord. Oof. Huh. Alicia, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for enlightening us and having this conversation with me. I appreciate it. Are there any last words that you have for the people? Mm, This was just so good. This is just so good. This is so good. (laughs) I'm stuck right there. Oh, thank you. So I have to say thank you. Thank you for thinking of me. Thank you that you yielded to Holy Spirit when Holy Spirit put me on your heart. I really love every time I have a chance to jump into a Kendra video because when I was I was watching your videos when I was stuck on DC in DC on my side in my little corner with nobody out there and still trying to find my home still trying to find my home as far as my worship home and it's good to still have these moments in between that um because we need we need a constant dose a constant dose of love a constant dose of the truth of god to overwhelm us and and fill us because there's other forces always trying to pull us somewhere else And so I'm just so glad we had this conversation and I hope that this conversation speaks the word of freedom and life to all of the people who are contemplating going into an environment where you feel the challenge. Yeah. 
I speak freedom to you. I, I speak strength. Yes. I speak radical strength unto Jesus. you in boldness. Yes. God called us that we may be bold. This is our earth to inherit. He called you that you be bold. Yes. We are not a docile, weak people, and the word of God is bold and radical. Jesus. So I speak that to you now that you may rise up against any word, any comment that seeks to trap you and and encage you into an identity that is not your own. In Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus. <sighs> Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you. We give you glory and honor. God, thanks for this opportunity, for allowing us to share with your people. Thank you for using us. Thank you for speaking through us, God. We thank you for your um, indwelling of the Holy Spirit in this conversation. We thank you for your presence, God. We ask you to bless Alicia and I, as we continue to to push the gospel and to push this effort, God, I ask that you bless and enlighten your people, anyone that comes across this episode. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, y'all, that is the word on the street for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode. And y'all, be blessed.